We continue into our Gospel of John text this morning, but it's also an Advent Sunday, which is, as we just saw, the, the season where we start to celebrate or we wait patiently for the coming Lord. Now, the first thing I wanted to say to you is he comes to us who are far off. He comes to us who are far off. Have any of you ever felt like you were far away or off or maybe somebody was holding, holding you at arm's length? Have, have you ever felt separated from people? What's it take to make you feel separated? Well, distance, okay. That, that does get you separated. But sometimes you can be close to somebody but not be nearby. What happens if you're nearby somebody but you feel held at arm's length? How, did, how, does, somebody, how does that happen? Not talking? Or, or what if they were giving you the silent treatment? Yeah, you get your feelings hurt. What did you say? Doubt. doubt. Say, tell, tell me more about doubt. Oh, my. Oh my. <laughs> no, so you don't know where you stand with them? How does that happen? Miscommunications. Back to communication. Anybody else ever, ever have somebody be mad at them and yell at them, and, and then you feel like, like you didn't do anything wrong, so maybe you've been wronged wrongly? Anything else make you feel separated? I mean, other than the silent treatment and, and, and being yelled at and miscommunications and lack of wisdom. When you think of motives, you mean when, when you're thinking somebody's mad at you and you're, you're assuming you know what their motives are? That's a dangerous game, isn't it? Any, any of you ever know what somebody else's motives really are? I mean, assu- uh, uh, rather than just assuming you know what their motives are. Because that's, that's one of those things. Okay, so I'm going to read you a story today, and, the, and, I, and I want you to sort of pick out some of those things. Let's see if we can get maybe a verse into the story, and maybe you can pick out something that creates distance between people as we read. This is from um, John 1, or John 4, 1. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself didn't baptize them, his disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Let's listen to that in a different translation, and then you'll hear kind of what I'm hearing when I read the Greek. Jesus realized that the Pharisees were keeping count on the baptisms he was doing. although he wasn't really doing it. Have you ever had somebody just sort of keeping count on you and watching and making sure that all the little lines and all the little check boxes are filled in and every, every little nuance of any particular set of rules that they have in their own mind are being followed? Have you, has anybody ever experienced that? How does that make you feel? Scrutinize. That's a good word. There's your power word for, for teachers. So Jesus left the Judean countryside and went back to Galilee. To get there, he had to pass through Samaria, and he came to Sychar, a Samaritan village that bordered the field Jacob had given his son Joseph. Joseph's well was still there, and Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well, and it was about noon. 
a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. And Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had left to buy food in the village. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, said, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Do you hear the arm's length there? Do you hear the, the, the strain in the relationship? Here's a woman who's never met him, and he says, can I have a drink of water? And she goes, what? How come you are asking me? Can you hear how far off they're being held from each other by relationship issues? Can you hear that? What do you mean? If you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink, and I would give you fresh living water or water that bubbles up and that you don't have to come get every day in a jar from a cistern. How many of you like cistern water better than flowing water? Do you know what that tastes like? Stale. The woman said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket to draw with, and the well is deep. So how are you going to give me this living water? Are you better? Are you a more important person than Jacob who dug this well and drank from it, and he and his sons and livestock and passed it down to us? Jesus said, Everyone who drinks this water will get thirsty again and again. Anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst Not ever. The water I give will be like an artesian spring within, gushing fountains of endless life. Now, I want to ask you just one more question. Are they talking about the same thing yet? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're talking about something, and they're talking about something else, and it goes on for a while, and it just gets more and more uncomfortable? I know I have. This is what happens in human relationships. This is what happens when things get strained, when, when we start to think one way and we get locked into our boxes. And Jesus is here on earth. We're getting ready because Jesus is coming to earth. That's what Christmas is about. Jesus is coming to those who are far off who have been held at arm's length. Maybe they've held themselves at arm's length. Maybe they've assumed motives in somebody else and then blame that person for the motives. And then the relationship was hurt. Let me say that again. I know, I know none of you have ever done this. But did you ever have a fight with somebody and you couldn't really figure out what you were fighting about and, and what it boiled down to is each of you thought the other one had meant something you didn't mean? Oh, come on. I'm just, this is not a rhetorical question. Have you ever done this? If you're breathing in, let's, let's see, let's breathe in. If you've breathed in, then you've assumed somebody had some motives that they didn't have. I hate to tell you that, you have. Me too. This week. What does it mean? How is it that we get so pushed out of relationships? Have you ever just ached 
to make a relationship work and you just couldn't make it work. Well, what's going on in the Judean countryside between the Samaritans and the Jews is really something like that. And I need to spend just a little bit of time so you know the Samaritans aren't really foreigners. They're the northern tribes or what was left of the northern tribes that have come back and they're like cousins. But cousins that we're seeing, the Jews thought the Samaritans did bad stuff and were sent off to be judged and then held that against them. And then when they came back, there's all these little cousin sort of arguments going on. Well, we, and she's going to bring this up, we, we, we're supposed to worship here, but the Jews say worship over here, but we, we thought we were worshiping the same God. Which one's right? And the relationship just gets broken and broken and broken, and pretty soon everybody's so far off that the, that the Samaritans go, the Samaritan lady with Jesus goes, how come you, a Jew, ask me a Samaritan and even a woman? And all these barriers have been raised up between them because the Jews, they, they gave the, the haughty looks. They gave the looks and the stares to the Samaritans and things like that. In some places it was said that it would be better to, to go around Samaria than through it because you wouldn't want to be near those people. Some took it so far to say that if their shadow crossed your feet, right? We do this. Have you ever crossed to the other side of the road to, to not run into somebody on the sidewalk? That's what's kind of going on here. And the relationship is so broken, and yet Jesus is there, right? He's passing through, and he's doing this. Let me go on and read the story. I just, I just want you to hear how separated they are from each other. And for a second, I want you to feel and recognize that there's some relationships that you've been in somewhere. Maybe you don't have any now, but you've been in broken relationships like this where, man, I hope I don't see them. If I see them, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. But I don't want to do that, so I just hope I don't run into them today. And you hold people away. And the woman says to Jesus, she's starting to figure out that they're in a different conversation. Sir, give me this water so I won't ever get thirsty and won't have to come back to this well again. See, she is not in the same conversation he is. I'm going to give you water that's going to bubble up like an artesian well inside your soul, and you'll never be thirsty again. I don't want to come back to this well anymore. Go call your husband and then come back. I have no husband, she said. That's nicely put, I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth there, sure enough. Oh, I see that you're a prophet. What do prophets do in the Old Testament? I know none of my classes in here right now. My... my, my my class that I teach on Sunday morning, we talked about what the prophets did in the Old Testament and likened them a little bit to the police officers 
catching people running the speed limit. Right? When you speed in town, do you deserve a ticket? Do you always get one? When the police officers pull you over and you were speeding, do you go, thank you, sir? No, you don't do that. And so, what a prophet does is exposes sin in people's life. And sin is this separation that we've been spending a little bit of time developing our understanding of how wide the separation is just between us. But prophets, oh, I see you're a prophet. My sin is exposed. You've just told me about me, and I didn't know anything. And then she goes into this conversation. Now she's going to say something, and people will say, she's having a little bit of a theological argument with him. She wants to know something. I'm going to disagree with that. Here it is. Our ancestors worshiped God at this mountain, but the Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place to worship. Is that right? Look, as soon as you have a prophet and, and you're in front of a prophet and you're feeling like your sin is exposed, I'm going to tell you that what she's starting to think of right now is if my sin is exposed, then I need to know which are the right priests to go to so that my sin can be forgiven and mercy can be had. Is it right to go to the mountain where I was told to worship or where the Jews do it? I'm confused. I don't know. I'm now in front of a prophet and he has exposed me. I need to know which priesthood to go to. Do I use the ones of the northern kingdom, the Samaritan priests, or do I use the Jews? Which church is right? Is Jesus in, is Jesus in your church the one that I go to, or is, Jesus, or, or, or is it about the pastor or what? That's the question here. But if you've been exposed, if you've ever ever been in front of somebody that told you something about you and there was no way they should know, you should, and you're exposed, then mercy is what she's after. She's not having a theological argument now. She is on the move to find out what she needs to do to find the mercy that comes from the prophets because God doesn't send a prophet without the priest. Do you understand? God isn't out here to say, you're a sinner without coming to give you a spot where you can be forgiven. Oh, we've done plenty to be forgiven about, and we don't always know what that is right away, but when, when we're in that moment and somebody goes, you did this to me, or maybe God starts talking to you, and if he uses a prophet, it's sort of in your face. But it isn't always. Sometimes God talks to you in the middle of the night, doesn't he? You did such and such to so-and-so, and you need to go make that right. And you don't have to go searching for more prophet at that moment. You go searching for the priest for forgiveness. And we have a priest. This is what's going on in the conversation Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You're, you worship guessing in the dark. The Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through them, the Jews. But the time is coming. It has, in fact, come 
when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. It's who you are and the way you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is looking for, those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself and spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very being and in their spirits, their true selves, in adoration. Now the woman said, I don't know about that. I do know that when Messiah comes, when he arrives, we'll get the whole story. Wouldn't you like to have the whole story? We'll get the whole story. When Messiah comes, we'll get the whole story. Here's the punchline. I am he. You don't have to wait any longer. He's not only the prophet that comes, that just being near him lets you know that you've got something wrong and that you need to fix relationships, that you've got people that are separated from you. He's coming to earth. That's what Advent is about, that he's coming. He's the answer. He's the priesthood. He's the mercy giver, the mercy seat, all of it, all together. But all those bridges and all those boundaries that you and I seem locked behind, he crosses. And that's why we're doing this in Advent. Because we all stand afar. We all stand at arm's length to somebody. And we all stood at arm's length to God, and there's no avoiding it until you meet him. Advent, the first Sunday of Advent, is about the beginning of the wait us, that we, we who know Jesus begin to sit back into our, into our lives and sit back in there and look and remember. Remember, there was a time when I didn't know Jesus. I get a chance to sit back in here, and I didn't know him, and there are people like that in the world, and they don't know him, and they're held out at arm's length. They feel like God is holding them off when all of that is inside them. The Samaritan woman, just like that, thought that maybe Jesus, the Jews were holding her off and keeping her down. But in the relationship, when she started coming up to Jesus, Jesus just crossed that boundary. Advent, the coming of the new king, the new priest, the forgiveness, our savior, that coming, he crosses those boundaries that are in us that keep us separated from each other. And you might think to yourself for a second, well, wait, just a second. Well, sure, he does that for me with him, but what about me and these other people that I've got problems with? Well, we're going to talk about that as the Gospel of John works further in here, but I need you to know that before you can effectively cross some of those boundaries in lives where you've been hurt or they've been hurt by you, and before you can cross those boundaries, you've got to kind of figure out who you are with the Lord God, the center, the king of the universe, the one who knows everything you've done. She's going to say that in a moment. But I need you to know that this is what Advent is a chance to recognize. 
is, it's, it's, it's a chance to recognize that this relationship that you have with the Lord, that you have now, that is a gift of God because he came to you when you were far off. You didn't get there on your own. You got there with him. But as we come into this Christmas season now, we get a chance specifically to remember what that was like and to have mercy on those who don't know it yet. And so I'm going to ask you this morning that you would take the time to remember that, that you would take the time and the moment to hear the Lord calling you back from whatever cliff or separation or whatever anxiety you have, whatever communication error that you've, you've been a party to. I am he, said Jesus. You don't have to wait any longer or look any further. You don't have to go to that mountain or this hill you go straight to Jesus from, it, from now on. And we remember this time when we didn't know that. And we sit in waiting with those who are still waiting. And if that won't bring mercy into your heart for them, nothing will. Lord Jesus, I ask for you to make away in the wilderness for us. Now that wilderness might not feel like a wilderness. It might feel like the streets of Colville and it might feel like places where, where we've had family arguments or, or neighbor arguments or wherever, but we ask you to make a way first for us to see our part and then to live out of the forgiveness that we receive from you. In your precious name, Lord, Amen.